going on, and uh, good things going on, and uh, I'm excited. Are you excited today? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, I am really excited to be in God's house today, and I'm excited uh, about what we're going to be talking about here as we begin this, this new series on alternate reality and First John, and uh, I hope you're ready uh, to, to, to go through this book together, this exciting book of the Bible. I think this is the first time I have preached in depth from 1 John, and uh, so I'm excited about that. It, it really is weird, you know, when you go in the ministry, Todd, I don't know how it was when you went in the pastor, but you wonder, how do you sustain year to year preaching and being fresh and consistent and continuing to, to work through the Word? And, and what I've found is, I still haven't got through the first year of sermons that I had planned for you folks, and we've heard two years. As a matter of fact, I never got through the first year at Trenton. I was there nine years. You know, God's always laying fresh things on your heart, and and, and, and in, in my study, in my, at, at home, there's all these little books and things and, and notes of, of directions and sermon series I want to do. And, and I don't know, I'll have to be here like 40 years to get through all the sermon series I have. And, and uh, so just help me or pray that God will help me as we go first through First John. I'm excited about it. I'm going to allow you to remain seated as I read through this, as you've just been up. First John 1, 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy might be made complete. Lord, bless your word today as we, we look at First John, as we begin this new series. Lord, may we not be caught up in what I have to say, but what you have to say through your Holy Spirit. Speak to your people, Lord, and as you speak to your people, may we be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, before we get started, i got a confession to make. I have an addiction. I, I, you know, I, this is a hard thing to do, but I've got to, to confess to you, I am addicted to HGTV. Um, I don't know, anybody else addicted to HGTV, the reality home improvement shows? I love them. Now, my boys are calling me grandma because uh, I'm just like my, my mother-in-law. That's all she watches. And, and so I've got to the point that all I watch is HGTV. I, I love the Property Brothers. I, you know, love it or list it. You know, I, I, the one that I really am intrigued by, has anybody ever seen Good Bones? Uh, it's a, a couple people from, a, it's a mother and a daughter from Indianapolis. Uh, they're con she's the contractor and her mom's kind of designer and they go into these houses and they're, they're trashed and they look at them and, and they see something there or she sees something there that typically I don't see. I mean, if, if we could just move this wall, if we clear this out and, and they'll take these houses all the way down to the studs and then at the end it'll be this beautiful home that they've created. And all the shows are like that. They, they see, if we could just move this wall. It would open up everything. And, and so they see something that when I look at the house, and, and probably most of us look at the house, uh, most of us do not see. Now, now life's like that. I, I've had people that have seen things in me that I didn't see. Has anybody ever experienced that? Usually it's your parents. They, they, they see something in you more than you see in yourself. 
that, you know, there, there's been teachers, there's been preachers, there's been pastors, there's been Sunday school teachers that, that have invested in my life. And because they've seen more than I've seen, God has been able to use me in different ways because of what they've seen. Uh, I, I think of my boys. Now, now, Spencer's the only one here. I, I see in Spencer unlimited potential. I see someone that God could use in great ways, but isn't that how we are with our kids? And, and sometimes our kids push back against us, and you know, we push back against our parents and say, well, but I can't do all the things that you think I can do. You know, you have a heavenly Father that sees you in that way. God sees more in us than we see in us. <laughs> And that's a simple truth, but say that with me. You guys are kind of sleepy today, and I know it's, you're ready to get out in the hot weather, right? It's air-conditioned in here, right? Uh, is that right? <laughs> is everybody cool, too, hot, too cool, too hot? Say this with me. God sees more in us than we see in us. Let's do that again. God sees more in us than we see in us. God sees unlimited potential in the lives of his people. And, and God sees so much in you that he is willing to give his only son, Jesus, to die in your place because of what God sees in us, his children, his people. Now, the premise of this series, this alternate reality series, is simple. God is calling us to more. He's calling us to real life. He's calling us to a way of living that is different than the world. He's calling us to this alternate reality. And when I use the phrase alternate reality, it's not as if, oh, there's this reality and then there's the other reality. There is one reality, and it's life in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, Jesus is saying... To, to get to real life, to get to this ultimate real life, there is only one way that you can achieve it. It is not through religion. It is not through a, a set of rules. It is not just through thinking right thoughts, but it is through relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is calling us not just to something that's different, but something that is real and significant and eternal. In another part of Scripture, Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, now when I read these words of Jesus, I don't believe Jesus is just preaching about um, heaven to come. And, and, and this isn't just a, only a, 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 a theology or Jesus is not teaching that, that, that we're, we're going to have a heaven to gain and, and, and that's life. But I believe Jesus is talking about real life in the here and now. And that's what John is talking about. The, the aged apostle John is writing about that the, God is calling us as the people of God not to less, but to more. Not, not to fake, but to real. God is calling the people of God to real life now. Now, now 1 John what was a letter. It was written by the Apostle John to, to Christians near the end of the first century. And, and John was living most likely in Ephesus at the time this letter was written. So it's written near the end of the first century. John, of course, is, is one of the apostles. 
he writes the fourth gospel. The gospel of John is, is attributed to, to the apostle John. And he writes these three letters, first and second and third John. Uh, he, he's part of Jesus' inner circle. And typically when we think of the inner circle of Jesus, we think of James, Peter, and John. And these guys are comprised of the inner circle. Actually, and, and the Bible doesn't, doesn't, isn't clear on this, but I think there's a fourth member of the inner circle, and I think it's Judas, because Judas was handling the money. Uh, but but as, as Judas betrayed Jesus, that becomes less evident. So, so Jesus has at least these three members of his inner circle, circle James, Peter, and John. Uh, John would consider himself the BFF of Jesus, <laughs> the, the best friend of Jesus. That, that's how John would look at himself with Jesus. As a matter of fact, John in his gospel often refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And, and at the Last Supper, you have this, I, I know in our, in our image of the, the Last Supper, it's all, it's all da Vinci's picture of him sitting at that table straight, straight across, but that's probably not the scene. The scene is that they're sitting on the floor and they're reclining on the floor. And the image John gives in the, in the Last Supper in the upper room is Jesus is reclining on the floor and John is laying on his chest. That, that he's so close to Jesus that he's basically laying on Jesus and Jesus is whispering in his ear. So, so there's this image in the Gospels of John being deeply loved, deeply connected, best friends with Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's only one apostle, only one disciple that the historical record puts at the crucifixion. Am I wrong there, Bob? I think I'm right. And it's John. John follows him all the way to the cross. Now we hear about Peter and we see all the other ones scattered and all the other ones running. But John didn't even run. Jesus was his best friend. And on the cross, Jesus looks down from, at, from the cross and he looks at John and he looks at his mother Mary and he says, John, behold your mother. And then he looks at Mary and says, Mary, behold your son. In other words, Jesus entrusts the care of his mother who he loved to the disciple that he loved, John. And so most church historians put Mary in Ephesus with John with this implication that John took this entrusting care of Mary to heart and took care of Mary for the rest of his life. John is the only disciple that's not martyred. Now, he was lucky enough to be burned in oil and, and exiled to Patmos. So, I mean, but he wasn't, he wasn't martyred. He wasn't killed. And so he lived to an old age, to the end of the century, the end of the first century. And, and the legends of John are, are, are interesting and, and they're tender. They're, the, the images of John is that John's being carried uh, through the churches as he aged. And, and John's saying, little children love one another. You know, you, you get that image of John. And so John's writing to the first century church. And it's a letter to the church that's not facing persecution, but seduction. In other words, it's not that they're being pushed out of their call by, by tribulation or persecution, but they're growing tired 
of the call of Christianity. That this second or third generation church is beginning to say, well, do we really have to live to that standard? You know, we, we, we like the thought of Jesus, but we really don't want to have to alter our lifestyle to follow Jesus. Can, can we just follow Jesus, but then just do things the same way every one of our neighbors do things? Does that sound familiar to anyone in this sanctuary today? I think Dr. Purdue said when he, we had him for revival uh, in the spring, I, I think the phrase he used was the church today is not facing persecution, we're facing seduction. Now, persecution can follow seduction, and I believe that's true. We are being seduced to just be like everyone else. And John is writing to a second generation or a third generation even that is wanting to compromise on the gospel. William Barclay, the, the great commentary writer, writes this about the people that's receiving this letter. They did not want to be saints in the New Testament sense of the term. The two, New Testament word for saint is hagios, which is also commonly translated holy. The ba- its basic meaning is different. And Christianity demanded a new standard of moral purity, a new kindness, a new service, a new forgiveness, and it was difficult. John's writing to a church that no longer wants to be holy, saints, different. They're wanting to blend in. And the gist of John's letter is, Jesus is calling us to more than just blending in. Can someone say amen to that? But it was more than just... This, this seduction, there was a philosophical seduction. Uh, Gnostic thought was beginning to, to gain more and more traction by the, by the end of the first century. And Gnostic thought, in essence, you know, we're not going to go into details of this, was, was basically spiritual matter is good and physical matter is evil. In other words, God could create as God is spirit and be good, but what he created could not be pure and good. It had to be evil. And and so with with this Gnostic thought, the the image and the ideal of Jesus begin to be skewed. Uh, Gnostics would say either Jesus was not fully God. If he was human, he could not be God. And if he was fully God, then he could not be fully human. He could not be physical. And, And so they begin to do some strange things with, with Jesus. They, they would say, oh, well, he only appeared to be physical. He was spiritual, but he only appeared to be physical. Or they would say he was only physical part of the time, and, and so he was physical in this part of his life, but when it came time for him to be crucified, the spiritual good part left, and we was left with that bad physical body. Gnostic thought, led to the ideal that Christianity was a spiritual experience only, but it could not change our physical life, our physical realities. But John, who had experienced the physical Jesus, who had an understanding of the physical Jesus, 
sees it a little bit differently. And John is, says that God is calling us to experiencing Him in a way, an experience with Him that changes not only our spiritual realities, but also our physical realities. In other words, this Gnostic thought that physically the spiritual does not have application, does not change us, God is calling us to be changed both spiritually and physically. And this is the main thing, the ideal of John's letter. Now, in verses 1 and 2, it could be broken down in one phrase. John is saying, we declare to you the word of life. That, that is the essential phrase in verses 1 through 2. We declare to you the word of life. What's John saying? The point is Jesus. The point of what this letter is going to be about, I'm proclaiming to you, I'm pointing out the point of this letter, the point of my ministry, the point of my apostleship, the point of my life has been Jesus. As a church, we declare the point of this church is Jesus. It's not about the teaching of Jesus, it's about the personhood of Jesus. And we declare to you that we are here to see and show Jesus Christ. No other purpose. We are here. The point is Jesus Christ. And then John goes on. He says, Jesus was all God. And he uses this language from the beginning. And it's an illusion. It's looking back at John 1.1. And you know, John 1.1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. All things came to being through the Word. In other words, in John 1.1, he's directly saying the Word came and the Word was God. He was one and the same. Jesus was fully God. Uh, make no mistake, John is not uh, s- skipping, he's not backing away from this simple ideal. Jesus was God. All created order came to be through Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the source of all life. He is the source of all creation. Jesus is God. And John is making sure that we understand that. When he's talking about his best friend, he was God. But then he goes on. But Jesus was also all man. I declare to you, as as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we stand very firmly on in our presentation of the gospel is this. Jesus was all God and Jesus was all man. I don't claim to understand it, but I believe it and I proclaim it. Jesus was all God and he was all man. If you lose the deity of Jesus Christ, you lose the power of the atonement and his sacrificial death. If Jesus was not the perfect son of God, if Jesus was not all God, it is simply a good man dying on that cross. It is just another martyr. But John is saying this was not just another man that died. This was not a good man that died. This was the God man that died. And it makes all the difference. But he was also fully human. Jesus was tempted 
and tried in every way that we were tempted and tried. If you lose the deity of Jesus, you lose the power of the atonement. If you lose the humanity of Jesus, you lose the ideal that God can redeem fallen physical humankind. That it's through this God-man that God reconciles all creation back to himself. I'm kind of shouty today, aren't I? Imagine, if you will, you know, John's near the end of the first century, and they're talking about Jesus, who he knew. That this physical Jesus that John spent three years with. And they're saying, he was just spirit. <laughs> Can you understand the passion that John's speaking with? John's saying, wait a minute. I, I saw him get tired. I watched him sweat when it was hot. I, I saw him when he got cold. I saw tears come down his face. I, I saw him cut himself and bleed. I, I, I saw, I smelled his B.O. when he didn't bathe enough. I oh, know, was that sacrilege? You know, I, I saw him, I leaned against him, I watched him get hungry and tired, I saw him sleep, I saw bugs bite him, I saw his feet and that was dirty. I watched him die on a cross. I watched them beat him and torture him and nail him to a cross and you're going to tell me he was merely spirit? I knew the physical Jesus. Imagine, your best friend that you've ever had in your life and somebody comes up to you and says, oh, they were just pretend. They weren't really physically. You go, are you kidding me? I played ball with that guy. We used to like fight and wrestle. And you're telling me he's not real? Jesus was fully physical. He was all man. And I was lying up against him in the upper room before they crucified him and killed him. Not only that, verse 3, Jesus brings fellowship. It's that great word that we've heard in the church all these years, koinia. It's not used often, but it's this word that implies communion or it's not just being together but it's partnership it's it, it's relationship and and John's saying there, there's this fellowship between us and this fellowship between those who've went before in other words we experience this fellowship with, with the saints that have went on before yeah I and, and I know you know I I I have my own theological orientation, but, but I got to tell you, I, I struggle. I don't know how people get through life and death without God. You know, to, to go through a loss of Dave this past week and go, how people go through a funeral without the hope of the resurrection, with, without that connection that Jesus Christ brings. And, and you know, this, this whole ideal that, that, that we're still connected. Dave's not sitting there, but he's sitting in the 
inner throne room. He's sitting in, in heaven right now in a worship service probably right now with a red nose on. There's that connection with those who've went on before, those people that we've loved, that, that, that died in Christ, that, that connection, that koinia, that communion, that fellowship's not broken. It's not as visible, but it's not broken. We're, we're still connected one with another, and we're connected in this place as well, and we're connected with our Heavenly Father. You know, as, you under, as you read through 1 John, the Gospel of John is helpful, particularly... John 1 and then John 17, which is this high priestly prayer. And in the high priestly prayer, Jesus says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, yep, I was sent, and they will be sent. A church that is not sent is not the church. If the only time we are the church is when we have gathered in this room, we are missing the entire point of why Jesus came. Jesus came to make us salt and light. And, 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 and salt in, in one pile is just salt in a salt shaker, right? If we are not going, if we have not been sent, if we have not taken that to heart, we are missing the point and the beauty of the gospel. We are missing, I believe, the fellowship that God offers because the fellowship God offers is the fellowship of mission. That God has invited us to join Him on this kingdom mission of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And as, as we just focus on here, I love here. You know, I love when we gather. But, but if our scattering is not done in the name of Jesus, then our gatherings mean very little. We are sent people. We are called to live differently in the world. Now, I'll take a chill pill next week. Let me just preach this week, okay? <laughs> chill pill. Do they really make chill pills? You know, I may, I may have to find them. <laughs> now I even forgot what I was talking about. One of the problems in the church is we've failed to live differently than the world. Uh, we, we, we've not shown forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and joy and patience and all these virtues that God calls us to practice. Oftentimes in the church, the church can be the most ungraceful place in the world. And so people look at us and we're supposed to be this model of something different. And when we're not, your neighbors say, well, what's the point? You know, I've, I've um, had people in the past that, that are praying for relatives and they may not be happy with what's going on in the church. And so they get home and they complain about the church and then the next thing out of their mouth is, well, why don't you come to church with me? And, 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 I, and, I, and I've said, you know, why do you think they would come to church with you when you've been completely upset about the church before? 
Uh, see, we're, we're called to, to show forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and kindness and patience. And if we don't show that, if we don't live that, if we do not live differently in the world than the world's living, there is no reason for people to see us as the answer to anything. Going on, John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through the, their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So, so, so John's not given new truth. He, he, he's telling something that's old that Jesus talked about before he uh, was crucified and rose from the dead and ascended. And he's saying it's not about getting your facts together. Jesus didn't come to create a new religion. Jesus didn't come so that we could, um, we could know more truths or, or, or more propositional truths. But, but Jesus came to bring relationship and fellowship. The, the point is fellowship with God. The point is partnership with God. The point is relationship, friendship, communion. That is the point of all that Jesus is doing. He is trying to draw us in this relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, this relationship, this fellowship with our Heavenly Father is connected to our fellowship with one another. You cannot have a vertical relationship with God if you refuse to have a horizontal relationship with other people. That this receiving of forgiveness from our Heavenly Father is connected to forgiveness horizontally. As a matter of fact, in one place in the Bible it says, how can you say you love God if you don't love other people? You know, you don't even see God, and, and so you, there, there's this mandate, this requirement that we love one another. <laughs> this would be a lot easier if we just had to love God, right? Right? This is the time to be honest. It's not God I ever have a problem with. It's the rest of the folks that give me problems every once in a while. I'm the only one. And John said, John said, I'm writing this so our joy. And I believe when John's saying our joy, this is his and ours, will be complete. So I have some questions for today, and I, I'm long-winded. I don't know what's wrong with me lately. Um, Amy, can you come and, are you in here? Come and play. We're going to give space. I know it's a little bit later. Um, and if you have to go, I understand. But I, I want to give some space today. Has God fully invaded your way of living? In, in other words, more than a statement of belief, but a way of life. That, that God's just not some, some oath you've taken, but, but God has fully full power to, to direct. See, John's John's speaking from this perspective with Jesus. You know, when he says, follow Jesus, he literally followed Jesus, right? Jesus would get up in the morning and say, hey, we're going over here. And John would say, oh, okay, let's go over there. And so John has this understanding that following Jesus is just not some illusion in his mind but Jesus had a pathway a direction to leading 
And so, are, are you really sold out like that? That, that, it's, that it's so real to you that through his word, through others, God gives you direction and you're just saying, okay, God, whatever. See, we, I have an optimistic grace. I love that phrase. My, my optimistic grace is this, that the, that the price that Jesus paid on the cross was sufficient for all humankind. Whosoever will could be saved. Now, I believe there's a choice there. I don't believe God overwhelms anybody's will. But, but God's salvation is sufficient for all. But not only that, it's sufficient for you in this moment. That, that God's grace is big enough that He can redeem, He can transform your spiritual realities. Now, I, I believe, and, and I've experienced this, in our life, when, when we're saved, we have all the Holy Spirit. But there came a point in my life where I had to give the Holy Spirit all of me. And something happened in my life when I just simply said enough. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of the struggle. And the Holy Spirit could begin to transform me. So does God have all of you? Has He fully invaded your way of living? Is your life motivated by religion or relationship with God? In other words... Is your behavior motivated by fear or love? John says, perfect love casts out fear. And I believe what John's saying there, you can get to a point in your relationship with God where it's not you're afraid he's going to smack you in the head, but you just want to please him so much. Think of it this way. When you think of your relationship with God, are you an hourly worker or are you a partner in the mission? When you came into church today... Was it just the same as hitting the t punch in a clock, doing your time? Or are you saying, God, I am a partner in the greatest mission ever? <laughs> are you relationally connected with other believers? Jesus said this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you, that you may also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love God, love others, love each other. That, that we're marked not by political party, God help us, not by dogma, not by dress, not by whether we have tattoos or don't have tattoos. We are marked by our love for one another. Is there relationships that's keeping you from relationship with God? And finally, do you have joy? I got to tell you, I'm tired of joyless Christians. I understand the sorrow that comes in the kingdom at times, but I'm tired. I'm tired of uptight spirituality that's like a tight collar that you can't breathe. This has to be a place where we laugh together. If we can't laugh together, we can't cry together. It's part of it. Do you have joy? I mean, really, real joy? Stand with me, if you will. I'm going to wait just a couple minutes and then we're going to take a couple minutes to pray. But our altars are always available.
and I'd encourage you, if, if God's speaking to you, to come and talk to Him. I, I've never, I mean, I, I know there's all these emotions that go through our minds when altars are open of, oh, what will people think? Nobody will think anything. And what does it mean? What it means is, is that you love God and you're going to do anything you can to serve Him and follow Him. So I'm going to wait, all heads bowed, all eyes closed, give you just a few moments, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer. Come quickly if you'd like to come. Our Heavenly Father, um, right now we, we confess that sometimes we accept less than what you have to offer. We accept a form. We accept a, a, a religion instead of relationship. We expect spending time with you instead of giving our life to you. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see that what you offer is life. Not, not just a, a ticket to heaven, but life here and now. A, a life when, with communion and fellowship with you and, and love for each other. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive us for the times that, that we've chosen just to do things in our own way that we've chosen a lower standard. Lord, that we've shown something to the world that's different than what you have in mind for us. Lord, give us a heart that burns for you. Give us a desire to know you and to love you more and more. Now, Lord, I pray your blessings on those who've been here today that have been part of this service, Lord. I, I've sensed your presence all day. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that when I fall down, when I sin, when I fail, you bring it right before me and you just say, just claim it and confess it and I'll forgive it. I thank you, Lord, that you empower me with your spirit, that you direct me, that you see more in me than I see in me. And Lord, I'm going to love you and serve you with all my life. Help us as a church, Lord, just to cont continue to keep the focus on you. May Jesus lead us. May people see Jesus in us. And Lord, may your kingdom grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.